are listening to CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting to you live from the unceded and stolen Musqueam Territory, UBC campus. Um, Welcome to the show today. My name is Ruby Raven. This is a very special episode. Um, It is entirely devoted to covering the Just for Laughs comedy festival that's happening here in Vancouver from September or September (laughs) February 16th to 25th Um, I'm doing interviews with a ton of different comedians all of whom are absolutely incredible and who will be performing here during the festival so uh, today you are going to hear um, an interview with Becky Robinson with Gianmarco Soresi and Sasha Mark So um, it is a jam-packed episode, so the episode is going to be entirely, it's going to entirely consist of just these interviews so you can get to know some of these comedians and get a taste for which shows you want to go to um, next week when the festival is happening. So stick around because you're going to be very entertained by these hilarious people. Um, All right, well, without further ado, let's play the first interview. Becky Robinson is an LGBTQ plus LA based comedian, writer, actor, and voiceover star. You may also know her as the entitled housewife, the outspoken viral golf character. Uh, oh, that sentence isn't complete. Robinson created and co-starred <laughs> in a in the two virtual comedy variety specials she self-produced. She'll be performing in Vancouver Sunday, February 19th at the Rio Theater. You can get your ticket at jflvancouver.com. Welcome, Becky. Thanks for having me, Rupley. Thanks for being here. Um, <laughs> so as I said, you're a stand-up actor, writer. How did you yeah. first get into comedy? What was the route for you? I think just being very mentally unwell. Huh. <laughs> I was the youngest of three, and I feel like... Um, yeah making people laugh was uh the way that you were accepted and just a way to like kind of put a band-aid on anything that might have been going wrong um and so yeah I think it was just like a little bit like wanted attention but also was just like wanted to be accepted and thought that like this this might be a way in um grew up watching a lot of you know Austin Powers and Sasha Baron Cohen and just was really fell in love with like the idea that you could transform and wear wigs and do voices and I just kind of did spent a lot of my childhood and entire upbringing doing that and being like let's let's see what we can push for like how to transform ourselves and what what types of ways we can present ourselves and I don't know just kind of stepping into other people's shoes and I feel like a lot of times you can like you can write a joke or you can become the person and say it as them and I always felt like I was better off getting in full hair and makeup you know getting the voice and then just like putting myself in their shoes and and writing that way so and saying it as truth and the truth is funny yeah yeah being like what what would they be thinking in this exact time and what are they going through? Like, you know, if someone really is into something or loves something or it's their whole life or, you know, they're they're from the South or they're from New Jersey or, you know, Australian or whatever. Um, I just, I, I find, I, I'm very observant and I think people are just hilarious. <laughs> Humanity is, is absurd and funny and 
I just, I don't know. My parents were kind of very like, everything's good. It's all good. It's all good. But then, you know, it, you could tell that it, it wasn't a lot of the time. And so laughing through things was, I think, something that brought us all together and made it feel like it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then when we weren't able to laugh through it, they would just, they have such a short fuse that after like, it's all good. It's all good. They'd be like, God damn it. No, it's just, we don't have enough time for this. Yeah. <laughs> So watching people get angry is something I really find amusing as well. It's just like, it's just raw humanity at its best, you know? I, I do know. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did you come up with your most well-known characters, Entitled Housewife and Outspoken Viral Golf Character? Yes, Entitled Housewife. Um, I was, went home, My I grew up in a, tough cul-de-sac outside Portland, Oregon. And um, my my sister uh, is an ER nurse and my parents were up in Portland. She's up in Portland. They were all there during the pandemic. And my sister was kind of like, you should come home. Things are really bad at the hospital. I don't know if mom and dad will like survive through this. And it just like, you know, I'm sure you're not performing. So you should probably come home. And I was in LA and I was like, all right. So I kind of just like went home and helped my sister out a little bit and spent more time with my parents than I had since I went away for college um and I was just like wow you guys are insane like just insane my dad was going golfing three times a day and he was wearing a golf glove on both hands as PPE and he was just like you know I'm just doing my part Bex because you know golf is all we have and wearing two gloves is a good way to you know fight the disease but he was like golfing and then going to Whole Foods and like manhandling salads lettuces with it it's like it was the most unsanitary thing you could do. And then my mom, um, she's had a lot of, she had breast cancer and she had a brain tumor and she is just a strong woman. She's made it through. And so by the time the pandemic came around, she's like, I don't want to be locked inside. Where's she lying? What the girls? And I was just kind of like a fly on the wall, just unable to perform on the verge of going, I think, insane. And every time I travel anywhere I always bring a bunch of wigs in case I have a proper mental breakdown or breakthrough (laughs) uh, because usually something something creative comes of it eventually and um eventually I had watched my parents for so long that I was just I don't know I was like you guys are so insane that it just I put on this wig I went to my mom's closet and I, I grabbed a visor and a skirt and my dad's like Oakley's and the golf channel was just automatically on like all, all the time and in any of their cars or like the house. And I just got in the car and I improvised for like five hours. And it was the first time I had laughed out loud in like months. And it just was like, I'm just doing this thing. I don't know. I just, I needed an outlet kind of like you need stand up, but when we weren't really able to do it and it's like, you don't really get the same. It was like the zoom shows weren't doing it, you know, kind of just like, I, ah, this is weird. And so kind of just improvising in the car for like hours I was like oh man I'm I'm having fun I don't know if anyone else will think this is funny but I filmed some of it and then like edited the video and I just put it up and just thought it was like anything else you know I always say like sometimes it feels like characters or bits or like golf swings um I mean I'm not great at golf but like it feels like I'm always hitting it the same every time sometimes it goes really far and sometimes I don't hit it at all and I don't know, this character just struck a chord with a lot of people. And I, there's this whole, like, I don't know, sea of entitled housewives out there and like golf culture. And it's just, um, 
yeah, I don't know. It just blew up. And I just, yeah, I, I was not expecting it. I was like, it's like any other dumb thing I do, you know? But I think it was so, I was, I had such pent up emotion and had been with my parents and was scared and was feeling kind of purposeless. And there was just so many like emotions leading into it that like that release of laughter was, I don't know. It was just kind of like a perfect storm, I guess. Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> such a pandemic story. Like I feel like I, I relate to so much of what you said. It's so fueled by like real fear and scary things, but then what's come yeah. out of it is this like really funny, weird, truthful thing. Yeah, totally. Like maybe, I think maybe the rest of the stuff I was doing, like just wasn't that like realistic or truth. It was like too, you know, abstract. I don't know, or too simple or I don't know, but it was like every day, you know, my sister's going into work in the ER and she's like saving lives. And I'm just at home, like praying I can shit out a TikTok. Like, you know, what, what am I good for in this life? You know, I just felt like, Oh, what can I do? You know? And I was just really glad. It's been really cool going, coming to shows and people, you know, they come up and they'll be crying. They'll just be like, I, I, you know, this, that character, like got me through some of the darkest points in my life and like times when I just like, didn't think I would be able to laugh again. And so I'm, it's been very touching and um, uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been a really cool thing. It's also, my dad is like a very serious golfer. So at first he was like, Beck, this is just not okay. I mean, it's just a little close to home and it's vulgar and it just doesn't belong on the golf course. And now he just like, now that his friends are like fans, he like loves it. Like, <laughs> of course, you know, got to wait for someone else to tell him that it's okay first. So what can Vancouver audiences expect from your show um, on February 19th at the Rio Theater? What can they expect? They can expect utter chaos. <laughs> um, the show that I will be performing is basically a, a culmination of the past three years, you know, of pandemic into like shooting immediately out on tour with this character show. Um, kind of was a show that I had been dreaming of doing my whole career, but, um, you know, a lot of comedy clubs, it's like, you have to work out the transitions and the, and the changes and stuff. And I feel like I've spent the past two years just like honing it. And the show is, it's a character show. It's stand up. It's heartfelt. It's silly. It's a party for sure. It's kind of just, it's like a break to just let loose. And I know a lot of my friends say like, it's just, it's, it's rare that you see this many women, and different types of different types of women or different types of people coming together and just like going buck wild for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Like people just go nuts. We dance. It's like it's it's kind of like a stand-up show meets rock show. Oh wow. So it's it's really fun. Cause I when I first, you know, came out of the pandemic, I was like, I just want to give people the best time I can. Being and entertained like, is so underrated. People are, nowadays people, are like, they want to think from, they want to go to something and they want it to make them think. And I'm like, you know, that's good. But sometimes you just want to enjoy yourself and be entertained. Sounds like that's what you're showing. That's, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. It's <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm all for like just the silliness, like silliness to the point where like, I love it if you're doubled over laughing out loud, not like, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever be capable of being that person. So I gotta, I gotta Comedy stay in. Comedy really needs both. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, well, thank you so much, Becky. Uh, this was this was really fun. Um, you can see Becky uh, Sunday, February 19th at the Rio Theater. Get your tickets at jflvancouver.com. All right. Gianmarco Sorezi is an yeah. actor, stand-up comic, and writer based in New York City. He won critical acclaim for his stand-up special and documentary Shelf Life, directed by Emmy Award winner Andy Buck, currently streaming on Amazon Prime. He has hosted programs for IBM and MTV and was a spokesperson for General Electric. He will be playing in Vancouver on February 16th as a part of the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. Welcome, Gianmarco. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. What does it mean to be a spokesperson for General Electric? It means uh, they they paid me uh, an exorbitant sum of money to uh, be the face, be in a bunch of commercials, and then show up to conferences and they go, hey, it's the guy. <laughs> and then they give me thousands of dollars. And uh, it's it was surreal. I, I went to one conference where I overheard the employees say, the fucking actor guy spent more time with the CEO than we did. <laughs> and that's that's what it is. It's it's a very strange visitation with powerful people where I am I am just a little uh, a feather in the in their cap. You're like and, a uh, Yes, very much so. Very much. And I was happy to do it and I've been pursuing being that jester again my whole life since that campaign ended in 2015. Wow. Wow. So you're an actor, writer, stand-up. How did you get into comedy? What was your introduction? I always say, you know, I, I, uh, I to get into stand-up comedy, you have to fail at something else. And, and that, that's pretty much what I did. I was an actor. I, I went to college for musical theater, um, which cost a lot of money. And then, uh, you know, I, I did the spokesman thing. And then uh, I wrote a play that had a lot of me talking to the audience. And I noticed all the feedback was from that and not the scenes that I had worked so hard to craft. And so I said, all right, I'll, I'll do uh, stand-up comedy. And uh, luckily that, that money from the commercials kept me afloat for the very long period of time that stand-up pays nothing. And uh, that's, that's how I got into it. So you were the spokesperson for General Electric, and then you became a stand-up. Yeah, it was it was pretty much right after that, actually, that that I went into stand-up. I think I think when I was a spokesman, you know, I had this money coming in, and I was like, okay, I guess this is my new life, just making casual money, going to <laughs> Vegas, talking at conferences. Let me go take up an occupation with very little income, and then the moment I did, that money went away. Which is for the best. I'm sure some of my stand-up, it would be tough to be a spokesman now. I think some of my stand-up would, would get me in trouble here and there. Mm -hmm. If you're a spokesman for an international company. <laughs> but I'd, I'd drop the stand-up in a heartbeat just to do that again. So if GE's listening or any other company, you know, Marlboro Cigarettes, whatever, I'm free. Take me. They're, they're regular listeners. Just in case you know. they're, they're regular mm -hmm, listeners. Mm -hmm. so they'll be reaching out to you. Um, I would imagine so. How would you describe your comedy? If you're saying it's a little too much for GM, how would you describe it? I certainly enjoy, I, I just like uh, uh, dark jokes. I like jokes that feel a little fucked up, 
that make you go, oh, I shouldn't be laughing at that. You know, I, 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 it's not the whole thing. I give you a couple light, light, light family fare, but I like jokes with a real twist that, uh, that make you feel a little guilty for laughing at it. Maybe a joke wouldn't rush home to tell your parents, but would, would tell your friend and maybe not even text it to your friend. Cause you would be like, I don't want to put this in writing. Uh, that's what I think. I think we all want a little bit that now that doesn't mean I, I, I don't think of myself as, as, uh, you know, uh, making fun of people that are already being mistreated by society. I like to turn it inwards. I like to turn it to people that deserve it, like my father and my mother. That's why I like to really say screwed up stuff about. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I like that to be the case. Now, listen, I have to work clean sometimes. You have to do these corporate shows now and again to, to make the dough. But for the stuff that I do where it's just me and I'm in control, we're going to talk about death. We're going to talk about you know, just poking holes at, at, uh, uh, myself and, and through criticizing myself, I hope everyone leaves criticizing themselves. Yes. <laughs> wow. That, what a, what a takeaway. Um, do you, as lots of funny people have memories of their first joke they ever told. Do you have a memory of the first joke you ever told or the first time you ever remember being funny? Yeah. Uh, the, the one that always stuck out with me in, uh, in, in uh, first grade, I did The Princess and the Pea. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but it was it was a one morning only show. And I played uh, the prince. And I think I had to say to the princess, I love you, or something to that effect. And at the time, it was very popular to go, like, if you were grossed out. By, this was the era of, in the mouth of yeah, yeah, yeah. For the listeners. Thank you, thank you. I forgot. For the listeners, I, I this is my first up uh radio ever and uh i i said i love you and i turned to the audience and i made that gagging gesture and i recall it crushing um i i could be wrong sometimes you think you crushed but but i i remember getting some laughter uh from everyone except for the director slash gym teacher and (laughs) i i definitely remember that feeling of it was allowed. I didn't go to the principles. I didn't break the law. But that feeling of, and I, listen, I'm a shy, polite guy in person. I'm not a confrontational person. But there's something about you've been given permission for people to watch you, and you're going to go, I'm going to push it just a little bit. And it's going to be so funny, no one's going to be mad about it. That's the real thread through the needle that I think in that moment I, I achieved. Because what you, the gym teacher can't be too mad at me because the principal left. So that's what I like to do is to say something that makes you go, oh, my God, but it's hopefully funny enough that you're like, ah, I can't be mad at him. So that's what people can expect from your show on the 16th. Yes, absolutely. You, the, I, I expect everyone at one point, even if they really like me, I want one or two like, Jesus Christ. That's what I like. That's that's my form of the highest laughter. Right. A, a couple of like, is that too far? But it's not because it's good. But not even that, but like that they go, oh, fuck, why am I laughing at this? I want you to go, oh, I should. I see people, you know, sometimes they cover their face and I say, God can see behind hand. You listen, you think you're, you're hiding, you're hiding that you found that funny, but we all see it. We know who you are. 
<laughs> so if you're, you know, more of a, a darker, edgier comedian based on what I can, what I've gathered from researching you. But now let me say, because I worry sometimes with edgy people are like, oh, is he going to go up there and make a bunch of race jokes? No, it's existentially edgy. It is edgy in the way that makes you go, oh, I didn't know we could laugh about this topic. So, so don't get me wrong, because I don't want you, people think, oh, he's an edge lord. He's going to go up there, and it's it's going to be about it's going to be about humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's the only thing I worry with comedy. There's this real mix of like edgy, you know, in a way that like a 13 year old uh, boy would think is, ooh, that's edgy. He said a slur. That's not what I'm doing. A white guy I'm making jokes about that. race is not edgy anymore. Like that's no one. I don't. Sure. That's not. The I, jokes are about me failing in trying to be a good white ally. It's about me failing. It's not about other people. I have authority to talk about my failings. Full authority, and that's where I think the really fucked up comedy can be because I have permission to talk about myself mm-hmm. and I will eviscerate my ego for your entertainment. And if, if that's, that's what the jester needs to do. That's what the comedians need to do. Sure, sure. How do you feel about your place in the comedy landscape right now? I think I should be way more famous. I gotta be honest, I think I should be, uh, you know, selling out. I think they should rename JFL after me, G- GFL, uh, Jamarco's for life, <laughs> or whatever. Um, I I feel good. I I you know I, I work at the Comedy Cellar. Feels like an honor to do that in New York City. Um, I'm touring. I'm very. I, I'm in the part of the comedy career that is miserable, but I will look back on it and go, "Oh, I miss those days." Mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm traveling around the country. I sell tickets, but you always want to sell more. You're looking at your peers and go, how the fuck did they sell tickets? This person, they, 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 they took a poop on the street and now they're viral and they're selling out clubs and you go, what, what, what happened to jokes? But, but I'm enjoying it. I, I'm going on the road. I'm getting to know uh, my country and Canada and hopefully someday more of the world, just traveling to places that I would never want to vacation. But I get to learn kind of about humanity and the world outside of my very liberal uh, East Coast bubble. And I'm, I'm writing and testing and uh, it, it's, a cool, it's a cool phase to be in. And, and like every comedian, you, it's, very, it's very hard to gain traction. Everything's so fractured now that, you know, I did James Corden. I think it resulted in one ticket sale. And I'm like, God, I, I, I missed the days. I guess you could go on The Tonight Show and you could then tour just off that. Yeah. It's, it's a real grind and it's every day. But what I do enjoy about it is I, I, I get to grow at a, at a pace that feels very natural. I get to, you know, this last weekend I did two shows in Bristol, Tennessee on a Saturday. And I think I did an hour and a half of comedy each show. And it's like, that's the dream. Even, even, even the great comedians, the most successful comedians, they're not doing more stand-up on a Saturday than I did on that Saturday. We're both getting to play and, tra- and, and explore and be artists. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, I, I'm trying to, when I'm on stage, I'm not thinking about where I am in the comedy ladder. When I'm on stage, that room is all that matters to me in that moment. And if I kill in that room, I feel great. If I die in that room, I feel terrible. And it's nice amidst all the measuring you do that you can't help but do with all of your peers to have pockets of time where all that matters is what's in front of you. Mm -hmm. Wow. That was a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> well, Gianmarco, thank you. Am I, am I going, am I trying too hard with your name? Gianmarco? No, you're not. You're frankly, I, now that you bring it up, Ruby, you have not been trying hard enough. Okay. I was expecting Gianmarco. I was <laughs> expecting real, take your time. Uh, so thank you for bringing it up. Okay. Gianmarco like that. Yes. Wrong? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you for coming to Vancouver. And uh, you can get tickets for Gianmarco's show um, on jfl.com or admit one February 16th. If you're in Vancouver, go see him because it's going to be really existential, edgy stuff. Hell yeah. All right. Thank, thank you. you so much. Lovely to meet you. Have a great day. Peace. Thank you. Sasha Mark is a Vancouver stand-up. You can see him as a part of the Just for Laughs Vancouver Comedy Festival on February 22nd at the China Cloud or on February 23rd for Camp Comedy, a monthly comedy and drag cabaret show that features the best emerging and professional performers in Vancouver at the Projection Room at the Fox Cabaret. Welcome, Sasha! Oh, Ruby, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, so we have met before. We know each other because I take a lot of comedy classes at the comedy school that you work at, Blind Tiger Academy, if I may. And um, I'm wondering, what is it like working in Vancouver as a comedian? Oh, that's a really great question. So I've only had experiences living in two other cities. So Winnipeg and Vancouver. So I think Vancouver is a great city in terms of there's a great talent of arts and a caliber of arts uh, in the city. I would say when we look at the Junos, um, you know, the comedians that won Best Comedy Album of the Year, only one of them's from Toronto. Everyone else was a Vancouver comedian. So I think that you know, there's a higher caliber, high, higher ceiling of stand-up. And that's why I moved here is because I was a big fan of all the comedians that lived out here. Yeah, I'm a big fan of comedians out in Toronto too. But uh, yeah, I think there's so much talent in the city. There's so many fun shows. And I think there's a really cool space for a lot of alternative, silly comedy in the city as well. Yeah, I think because the the history of comedy in the city is not as old as Toronto, there aren't, uh, you know, really any established scenes. So it can create a lot of alternative comedy and a lot of weirdness. Oh, and I definitely love that. I definitely think that's what a city needs. I think we need to take comedy back away from corporations a little bit. I want the corporation money, but I don't <laughs> want the... <laughs> I don't know what I want. <laughs> and um, would you say that um, being a comedian here... Uh, like that, like your comedy has become weirder or has become more alternative? 
Oh, I think that's a great question as well. I think I've really stuck to the course of who Sasha was when I was in Winnipeg to, um, you know, when I moved out here. I, I think big changes were, yeah, definitely reference stuff. But I also think that comedy in Winnipeg, we were such a weird city as well. We are very, like young comedy city that was always very evolving as well that, that wasn't uh truly like stuck and established so there wasn't you know a plethora of big comedy clubs it was all like individually produced there as well so um shows in winnipeg were weird and i think that's what also drove me to coming to vancouver because vancouver's art scene is weird and i think that's where really fun explosive cool art comes from uh, and I don't, yeah, I have no, yeah, so. Why do you think that, like, because you think the art scene in general is weird, right? Is that what you're saying? I would say it can be, it can be, for Why sure. do you think, think that is? Like... Why do you think Vancouver has such a weird art scene? Ooh, I think that, uh, oh, um, Vancouver has such a weird art, weird art scene, um, I don't know, I think we're just kind of like, uh, a cultural hub for 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 arts in a way that is unique than to Toronto. I don't want to keep comparing ourselves to Toronto, but I also think that um yeah, Vancouver draws in a lot of like provincially, you know, uh Vancouver and BC is very uh NDP ask ish sort of not with this new mayor but um you know so i think it's like more support for artists here there's more um funding for artists here and uh yeah there's more opportunities for weird art space and i think also we've kind of been in this space within comedy where we just haven't had clubs within the last couple years because we lost the comedy mix we lost yuck yucks um so it's been kind of Comedy has been almost 100% produced um, independently by artists through this whole pandemic. So I think that has also helped bring out the weirdness. Um, also thought back in the day, LMG was so weird. And I think that was a, a big hub and heart of where um, a lot of people started comedy in the city was uh, the LMG space back, back in the day. Before it was destroyed a year ago. But Forza little... destroyed a year ago, stomped ah. into the ground. Um, how would you describe your comedy? And if that is too hard to answer, what comedy do you like? I always say uh, it's always easier to describe someone else's comedy than your own. So I always like, I'm very happy for someone else to describe it, but I'll describe it. I would say I'm a mix of uh, very silly uh, uh, and very, there's a lot of political commentary as well. Um, I love to make people feel uncomfortable, but I also like to make people laugh. And I really love to talk about my identity. I think something that really inspires me is that uh, when I think of back in Winnipeg, um, when it came to gay male comedians in that city, I was I was one and the, on the only one. And then I moved out to Vancouver. Um, I think there was, you know, six times more. So there were six. Um, <laughs> but you know it was um it was really great um so I think it's because there's I've always been in the market of like a a small pool of people that I like a small percentage of um representation in the comedy scene I think you know talking about my experiences 
are my own stories, but are also something that um, I feel like sometimes need, needs to be told or hasn't been really talked about. And it's a really fun way to explore through comedy. I don't even remember your original question. No, so. no, no. That, that's great. It's interesting yeah. that you set up too, because I was, I was, do you know Benito Skinner? He's part of the festival. Yeah. So I, I was, do, speaking, I do. I was speaking to him and, you know, he was talking about similar things coming up as like a gay kid and comedy and I'm queer and I was kind of like things have changed so much because I don't even have to consider oh my god like how am I supposed to is there a space for me is like all of those questions um because of you know comedians that are 10 years older than me and much older too but specifically in the 10 the past 10 years where things have shifted so much because people like you have been talking about your identity and being the only gay comedian like in the city so thank you for doing that yeah no for sure and I think um uh uh it's uh I'm always excited when new queer comedians and new indigenous stand-up comedians like enter comedy spaces as well something that I always like to do to make people feel uncomfortable is like I want people I ask this question sometimes to my students and I'm like all right, who's your favorite? I want you to think about your favorite Netflix comedian right now, okay? I want you to think about them. And then I'll like ask this question right away. It's like, who is your favorite Netflix comedian who's indigenous right now? And the answer is nobody, yeah. usually. So, <laughs> because, you know, there isn't a lot of representation in that field, you know? So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. But also, I think we have, we're canceling Netflix these days. Sorry, I, I know you're a CTITR, and this is, like, not a... We don't slander. We don't slander. But I think everyone's jumping off the Netflix wagon at the moment. I feel like the people will be jumping back on, you know, like, the culture moves quickly. So you don't want to, you know, like, maybe yeah. keep, a good, keep a good relationship with them at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because they'll remember. They'll be like, when we were down, Sasha was there for us. <laughs> um so how i how do you feel about your place in the landscape of comedy Mm, uh that's a you know i think i'm still in a position of like learning and growing a lot i uh sometimes uh i am really thankful to like even teach comedy because i don't know everything as well so i don't think you need to know everything to teach Mm-hmm. things like we've had teachers you know they didn't know anything <laughs> but um I think I think experience and research has helped a lot in that field but uh yeah how I feel in the comedy field I think that um uh you know I think this is more exciting I think there's a lot of indigenous comedians that are being involved in this year's uh just for laughs um event uh I'm really excited for um uh, Dakota and Chad Adderson to be coming out to do the new wave of stand-up this year and um, we tried to get really involved with a bunch of indigenous comedians locally and try to get them booked on as many shows as we can this year mm-hmm. so um, I think that's been really exciting for me um, is helping uh, the community uh, grow as well and uh, I don't know I don't I don't see myself as like I just see myself as a comedian in the, the community, I guess is like the position I, I look at myself at. I don't look at myself in any, is that bad? So wait, you see, you see yourself as a comedian of the community or you don't? 
I do. I do. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't know. I, that's, I, I don't know if there's like a ranking system that I see in my brain. I'm like, oh, I'm Sasha. I'm the leader of the comedy of the Vancouver scene. <laughs> you know, I'm just a, a friendly face that says hi. And is here to support other comedians and other Indigenous comedians. 100%. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I really, 100%, 100%. Well, that's awesome. that's amazing. What can people expect from your show on February twenty second? Yeah, it's gonna be a fun, really silly show. I have some comedians on that lineup that's not gonna be seen anywhere else in the whole dang festi festival. So uh, I have my dear pals from Winnipeg, um, but now they live in Toronto. I have uh, half of a group called Hunks. They're a sketch group, um, but uh, I invited. Uh, Tim Gray and Dana Smith to come out and perform. They're going to be doing some comedy over there. And then my friend Angie St. Mars from Winnipeg as well. Uh, we have a, a, like the, the lineup is so stacked. Like there's, there's people that I've looked to and like admired before I was even a comedian. So we have Julie Kim, who's going to be on that night, Ross Dauk, uh, Katie Ellen Humphreys. Um, we also have uh, Brenda Prince and um yeah, uh, and Katie Louise Carrier. So it's 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 going to be a really fun show. I always say that my show is kind of like, uh, I always like to pick, pitch it as like a barbecue. Like it's just very chill. It's oh. very nice, and there's a lot of hanging out beforehand, and there's a lot of hanging out after. And um, yeah, I, I I want to have like a chill, friendly environment where people feel like they can belong and hang there. That's lovely. Also, it's February and like you don't get to have barbecues right now. So this is sort of like mm. anyone who's missing going to barbecues, you should really go to Sasha's show on February 22nd at the China Cloud. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. And you don't know, there's usually special guests that come to these shows. So you don't know who's going to drop by. Oh, my God. There's you don't know who's you don't anything could happen. I don't know. You don't know. Anything could happen. Rihanna. Thank just you kidding. so <laughs> much, Sasha, for coming on Not My First Modio. And uh, and I'm so excited for your show on the 22nd. And um, yeah, everyone can buy tickets at jfl.com um, or at Admit One. Remember, February 22nd at the China Cloud. Sasha, you actually also have a second show on February 23rd called Camp Comedy, which is... At, in the projection room at the Fox Cabaret. Yes, and I definitely recommend getting those tickets sooner or later. We're both, our shows are selling out. So every, this happens all the time. You know, the day of the show, people arrive or they DM us being like, your shows are sold out. Can we get tickets? And I always have to be like, no, I'm sorry. There's like none left. So I always recommend getting them um, like as soon as you know, as soon as you know. Okay. As soon okay. as possible, as soon as this airs, as soon as you hear this, people who are listening to CITR right now, go buy your tickets for the Sasha Haha ha show. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Ruby. Yes, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for giving me so much uh, time, Sasha. I'll see you on the 22nd. Okay, see you in the 22nd. Bye. Bye. Hello, we are back. Uh, thank you so much for listening to some of these wonderful comedians. This brings us to the end of Arts Report's special Just for Laugh Comedy Festival episode. Um, there will be some more content next week. We're going to be covering the show 
a little bit, but um, please check out their website, jfl.com, to go see what is happening during the festival. All right, have a lovely day. Bye. <laughs>